Welcome to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast with your host, Dr. Dana Pung, and myself, Dr. Elise Hutt. Join us as we talk to inspiring clinicians who have redefined their careers. Today, I welcome to the show Dr. Hannah Megan, an Australian trained doctor who's currently working in San Francisco as a clinical product specialist for Komodo Health. She has just completed a Master's of Clinical Informatics Management through Stanford University, having been awarded a Fulbright Future Scholarship to do so. Honor combines clinical knowledge and skills with a passion for clinical informatics, occupational medicine, physician well-being, lifestyle medicine, and mental health. Hi, Dr. Hannah Megan. Welcome to the CCIM podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. For our listeners at home, can you give us a bit of an idea of what you're currently doing, the current roles that you're working and how you've got to where you are now? Yeah. Okay. So right now I live in San Francisco and I work at a company called Komodo Health. I'm with the clinical product team there. So we're the clinical team at this health tech company and our company is all about data and how we can use data to decrease the burden of disease. So my role is around understanding how we can use codes, other pieces of healthcare data in order to create pictures about patients, um, create a timeline of like what sort of journeys patients go through in order to allow our clients to make better decisions about whatever it is that they're wanting to do. So one example of this could be we're trying to recruit more patients for a clinical trial. We're looking for patients who may not have been diagnosed with a certain rare condition And using the data that we have in claims data, because that's a big thing here in the US, we can figure out, oh, we think there's a cluster of these rare patients at this particular site. So our client can deploy some people out there to be able to recruit these people for clinical trials. Um, That's a long-winded way of saying I'm a clinician who works in health tech. Yeah, amazing. I definitely have more questions on the health tech side of things, but to get a sense of how you actually got there, you started out working in clinical medicine. What drew you to medicine in the first place? I've always been a people person. And uh, I think when I was starting out in high school and that sort of thing, I really was drawn towards the sciences, towards math and that sort of thing. And I knew I wanted to do something that sort of combined this scientific brain of mine with like a people side, a helping side. So um, like every high school student who chooses to do medicine, I followed the path of a lot of other people um, who were just like, well, if you like science and you like helping people, why not, why not medicine? To be completely honest, I didn't think that I would get into med school. I applied to like every single med school in Australia uh, <laughs> and like lo and behold, actually got into I think a couple of them and started my medical journey. So since then, like I've just been on the sort of treadmill that all sort of junior doctors go on where, or like, you know, you go through the undergrad, then then medical school, and then you go forth and you do your clinical training after that, get onto a registrar program. But when I paused for a second in 2020 to think about what am I going to do next in terms of clinical training, that's when I actually thought about, hey, as a full-time clinical career, really what I want to be doing in the future. And I said to myself, I don't know. So I started to explore other things. What did that actually look like? What sort of clinical work were you doing at the time? I started off in the PA hospital where my first rotation was anatomical pathology. It's a really odd one for an intern to do, but I distinctly remember choosing my rotations and being like, yeah, why not? Like, I've never seen that before. Like, let's, let's give it a try. 
Um, did anatomical pathology for a tent. That was fantastic. It's really cool. You get to mindfully cut up specimens and have a look at them on the slides. I really enjoyed it so much so that I did the exam for anatomical pathology, thinking that I'd probably do that as a specialty. But then got whisked away and, and, and did a bit of anesthetics, sort of ED, internal medicine, urology. Really loved my urology term. Had awesome fellow who really showed me like what leadership looked like in a team. Then after that, PGY2 went to the sunny coast. Um, had a great time there as well. Expanded a bit more with a bit more peds, clinical coverage terms, like every junior doctor does. And then the third year at PGY3, I was just like, I still don't know who I am and what I'm doing. So then went rurally for a bit just to explore that a bit more. So for, I think until about sort of October-ish, I was doing on and off shifts with the rural agency in Queensland as one of the rural reliever junior doctors. And that opened my eyes up to like how hard it is to work rurally. So I skipped around a lot. Then at the end of 2020, that was 2020 when I did the rural time, I needed to come back home. I was just sort of feeling a little bit homesick. Things were ramping up with COVID. And that's when I started having some conversations about what did my career look like for me? That's when I chose to pause for a little bit. And that's how I got my roles in clinical informatics and radi- not radiation oncology. I'm looking for a role in radiation oncology um, and occupational environmental medicine. Mm, interesting. I feel that's a common story that people will just go through because there is such a clear cut path. No one ever stops to think about what else, what the other options are and what they actually look like at the end of it yeah. all as well. Both of those things are things that, as well as an anatomical pathology actually, are things that I was never exposed to as a junior. Can you talk me through what both clinical informatics and um, occupational medicine look like? in terms of the clinical roles you did and what sort of roles you'd expect to find at that level? Yeah, I'll start with occupational environmental medicine. And this is all about health in the workplace and health in the environment. So a lot of the work that we do in occupational environmental medicine sort of falls in a couple of buckets. Uh, One is pre-employment medical, so making sure that someone's fit for work. And this is generally seeing healthy people who might be going out to a mine site or doing safety critical work. So we need to make sure that they're as medically fit as possible so we can try and risk mitigate for the company. This involves just doing um, a top-to-toe examination, asking them a few questions that are often targeted towards the risks that they'll have in their occupation. Um, The other bucket of work is medical consulting where organisations will ask questions about, you know, what from your medical point of view they should do as a risk mitigation strategy for a medical risk or an occupational hazard that they have in their workplace. And this could be a biological hazard. This could be a chemical hazard. So, you know, I did a little bit of consulting work for some women who are pregnant and working with chemotherapy agents, for instance, or psychosocial hazards This one that I'm really interested in, which is how do we effectively look after people within the workplace to try and avoid mental illness from happening? What sort of things could we try and do to protect our workplace from becoming overly stressed, anxious and depressed? The other bucket of work within occupational medicine is medico-legals, which tend to be independently assessing someone who has gotten injured at work. So that's occupational environmental medicine. My day was usually a nine-to-five day, a little bit of on-call, really interesting, day-to-day, completely different questions, completely different answers, depending on the situation. Clinical informatics is a space that's different, and I would say even less known than occupational environmental medicine. Um, And I had a bit of a unique role uh, as one of the first residents in Queensland to have a clinical informatics role. 
My role within the clinical informatics team at Metro South was really around exploring the physician needs from our digital systems and how we can help make them a little bit better. So being that front door for any queries that come in about the IEMR or other digital systems, trying to troubleshoot reasons why we might not be able to get access to research data. And then a little bit of strategic work as well in terms of how can we increase the digital health workforce in the future. So again, that was like a really moving role. And so it's sort of like there's a little bit of day-to-day troubleshooting where, you know, people would call up for password resets and all that sort of stuff. But then I also got my hand stuck into a bit of more high-level strategic work and then was able to like work with some junior doctors to say, hey, do you have a problem that you see within the hospital? Let me see whether I can try and unlock some doors so we can try and actually fix it properly. So yeah, Yeah, that's incredible. I think every hospital I've ever worked at needs more people working on clinical informatics. I definitely didn't know that was an option. Oh, 100%. And I would say that like it's, this was not an open job that I just applied for and I got. I would like to see it like that in the future where you actually do have like a digital health senior house officer or uh, the equivalent in New South Wales or in Victoria or a clinical informatics fellow or something like that. But I actually created this role. So it was Amandeep and the CCIM page that showed me, hey, look, there was a department in my local health service that had an open role. And I called up the director one day and I was like, hi, I'm a junior doctor. I'd like to do something in this space. It sounds really interesting. Um, And he was like, I've never been asked that question before. (laughs) And I said, oh, okay, well, um, tell me more about the role. He told me about it. I was like, this sounds really interesting. He's like, we've been looking for a junior doctor, actually. It's just something that we've been thinking about. And so they actually made me a role, which is super cool. All from one phone call. Were they hiring at a a higher level at that point rather than a, a JMO level? Or was it a completely different role to what they were looking for? Yeah, so they were hiring for allied health and nursing. So that role that Amandy posted, I think, was a generalist role. It didn't actually say whether they were looking for a JMO, but typically they had nurses or people from allied health who worked in that sort of space. So I was just like, hey, why not? Was it something that you had a particular interest in prior to that or something you'd thought about at all prior to that? Yeah, so my dad actually worked in the public health system in Queensland and worked in this sort of space of clinical informatics, data management. He is not a physician by background, not clinical, but like very much was on the Queensland Health IT side. And so I've grown up with that around me most of my life. Again, another CCIM thing. I actually did the cheer course earlier in 2020 with my spare time working rurally. I was like, hey, I'll do the certification. Why not? Sounds interesting. And through that, started like piquing my interest, but I never thought that I'd actually do something in digital health. It was a bit of serendipity, a bit of intentionality that sort of landed me that role at Metro South. Yeah, incredible. And then you went over to study in the US at Stanford, which coming from Australia sounds very impressive. I think in America, it's also very impressive. Can you tell me about that journey? Yeah. Okay. When you say it, like, I'm just like, yeah, wow, I I did do that. That, That's wild, isn't it? Like, oh, geez. (laughs) So when I started work in both clinical informatics and occupational environmental health, I was seeing this thing where I was learning in occupational environmental health more about these psychosocial hazards. So the most common ones that we hear about are job demands and job resources. So looking at junior doctors, we often have too many job demands or things that we're asked to do and little job resources or the tools to actually be able to do them. 
And that, as a result, that mismatch is a psychosocial hazard that increase our risk for things like mental illness. And so I was starting to put these things together. I'm like, hold on a second. One of the tools that we use in order to do our job is our digital systems. Yet there doesn't seem to be enough advocacy and enough operational budget towards actually improving these systems. So we're actually going at it from a risk mitigation point of view. So that was like the thing that I had sort of like ticking over in my head. With that in mind, I was just like, okay, so if we need more operational budget to be able to improve our digital systems and hospital systems, what do I need to learn about next? And I was like, okay, I need to learn about how we get more money then. (laughs) And I was like, that sounds like a business-based thing that I need to understand. And I was like, okay, well, let's have a look around and see what might be out there. I could do my MBA, but I was just like, oh, probably, maybe, it just wasn't really compelled. I was looking around and in my Google searches, I saw this one program come up at Stanford, which was the Masters of Science in Clinical Informatics Management. So it's really a business degree tailored to clinical informatics and, and broadly speaking, health tech. And I was just like, perfect. This is it. This is, I still remember it was like an afternoon in March and I saw the degree. I'm like, this is what I need to do to answer my question. So I was just like, okay, next step. School in America is very expensive. How do I fund myself getting over there? And I'd seen a couple of my friends who had gotten Fulbright scholarships and I was like, you know what, maybe I've got, I've got a pretty decent idea. Let's have a go. Let's throw my hat into a ring and see how it goes and wrote my applications. And lo and behold, like they emailed me for an interview and I was just like, oh, cool. Probably not going to get it, but let's see. Um, did the interview, like made an absolute fool of myself telling them about how much I love plants. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a call being like, hey, would you like to go to the US? And I was like, what? what? <laughs> Me? Seems Sorry. like that's what they were after. So that's a good yeah. tip to anyone that yeah. is considering applying for a Fulbright scholarship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Talking about your plants the whole time. Yeah. Do you have any actual tips to people that might want to do that? What sort of stuff actually goes into that application? I'm just imagining yeah. like TV, movie, US college application, then plus a scholarship application being like, huge (laughs) yeah certainly for Fulbright and the other sort of um, similar ones like Monash and uh, Ramsey and that sort of thing what you'll tend to do first is actually apply for the scholarship and then they'll help you with with admissions and so I applied to the scholarship with the thesis that I'd like to go to Stanford and do this specific degree for these reasons and the best piece of advice that I got from a, a good friend Tori she said to me you always need to think about why you why now and why this program And still when I talk to people who are looking to either get into Stanford or to get a Fulbright scholarship, it's always about why you, why now, why this program? Those are the three big things that you need to think about. And certainly you've got people who are on the admissions committee as well looking for intriguing ideas that people haven't come up with previously and also sort of evidence-based ideas. So, you know, show us the evidence that people are thinking or writing or that this is a hot topic at the moment. And certainly like my field was, you know, how do we use informatics or improve our systems in clinical informatics in order to improve physician well-being. And Stanford was the place because they had this program. They have a lot of work that goes on in clinical informatics and they also have the WellMD Centre, which is pioneering physician wellness initiatives for the world. So it just sort of made sense from that point of view. And that's what was compelling about my application, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Well, <laughs> congratulations. I know these things are all a few years ago now, but that's amazing. How did you actually find studying at Stanford? Stanford's a weird place. Like it's amazing, 
but you just can't believe that you're there the entire time that you're there. And there's all these weird things that happen as well. And you're just like, hold on a second. Are you serious that like, you know, Bill Gates's daughter was like just in that classroom over there or like, you know, this thing is filmed over there. Or um, I think Gwyneth Paltrow was in the business school, like on the same day that I was giving a lecture and it's like wild, crazy. Like, how does this happen? But it's just like the allure of these sorts of places. I've heard from friends who go to Harvard, like, you know, similar sort of situations where they'll be walking down. They're like, oh, there's that person. You're like, what? So it's weird from that point of view. Probably not with probably not the, the, the right word. It's just growing up in Australia your whole life. You're just like, oh, America's so far away. You're never going to see these sorts of celebrities and all that sort of stuff. And to sort of be so close to where the action is happening is just amazing you you just feel like you're in a dream half the time the sort of other side of Stanford is that it's actually quite stressful so there's a lot of high achieving students that really like run after what they look like achieving their dreams and that sort of thing And, and I think that the reality is a lot of people will be able to be those startup founders that they dreamed of being and you know unicorn founders all that sort of stuff so it is a really sort of intensive environment where people working really hard and you do need to protect yourself yeah I feel even just going from high school to med school I remember being like in high school it was easy to be if you worked hard you could achieve reasonably well and then you went to med school and everyone was the person that had worked hard and could work hard and could achieve well so I feel like Stanford would just be next level up on that oh yeah absolutely but you know bear in mind as well Australians are loved by Americans so that's (laughs) one thing in our favor certainly um, and the quality of our education is really great in Australia. Now, having gone to Stanford, I'm really grateful for a lot of the education that I had in Australia because I think Stanford has the prestige behind its name, certainly because of the publications, the famous people that come by, the startups that have come out. And there are some stellar teachers, but there are equally just as many stellar teachers in Australia as well. I'd love to hear it. Did you have plans to stay on and work in the US when you went over there initially or did you just go over for the masters? Absolutely not. I was like, no, nah, I'm not saying any more than I need to because they have guns here and I don't like those. So I would like to be back home in Australia in my comfortable little house with my husband. It was actually a couple of weeks in just being around on campus and being around Silicon Valley. I was just like, oh, there's a lot going on here that's really exciting and I'd really like to stay here for a bit longer. Like, I think it'd be a really good thing for my career. And so I had the chat with my husband when he came to join me uh, a month after I arrived. And I was just like, I think I want to spend a bit more time here. And he's like, well, if there's a time to do it, now's the time. And so I work from there in terms of creating a plan to stay on for a little bit longer. Yeah. Amazing. And how did you end up in the role that you're currently doing? Was it a specific thing you sought out or was it just an opportunity that came to you in another way? Again, like a lot of my career so far, it was a bit of serendipity, talking to the right person at the right time. I was graduating at a a pretty tough time. Tech had a big downturn earlier this year, so jobs were quite short, particularly for people who are expensive like clinicians. So I was lucky to get the role that I did. And honestly, it's the best role that I could have imagined for myself. I have great work-life balance. I have a really supportive work environment. I'm doing work that I care about. And I feel like I, I'm learning a lot that I can bring back to Australia one day. Yeah, incredible. What does your day-to-day work-life actually look like? I work a hybrid role. So I'm about two to three days in the office, two days at home. Usually most of the morning is just trying to get an idea of what needs to be delivered for that day, working on some follow-up tickets and that sort of thing. 
So we work on a ticketed system where like someone submits a ticket in order for us to do the job and then just getting stuck into doing some clinical reading around an area of interest. So learned a lot about AML recently. I've also learned a lot about blepharitis, probably far more than I really wanted to. And so it'll just be like getting stuck into that like clinical area of the day of the ticket and um, then sort of trying to figure out, okay, so how can I then use the codes, the billing systems? the data that we have in order to answer the clinical question that my client is looking to answer. A healthy lunch break. Excellent. Always have a, have a lunch break. I always get those now, which is great. And then, you know, always fit in some time for exercise. Love that. Those are all very important things to fit in your day. Do you miss anything about working clinically? We were talking about this just yesterday while I was in the office. Um, and working with like a lot of non-clinical people, uh, I was talking to them about how satisfying it is to put in a cannula on the first go and I was just like oh I'd love to just I'd just love to put in a drip I don't know why but like just that feeling of satisfaction when you get a drip in or something like that so there's certainly elements like that where I'm just like oh I, re- I really wish that I could do that or that and certainly talking to patients and feeling like you're making a change on a day-to-day basis is just such a special feeling right like I'm sure that you've experienced it your listeners will have experienced it as well but being able to say to someone like I can help you or I'm not sure, but we can come up with a plan together is just some of the best feelings of the world, I think. And so that element of things I do miss about clinical training and clinical work. Even with occupational medicine, while you're not as patient-facing necessarily, you know, there are ways that I got a lot of satisfaction out of my patient interactions. One thing that I really loved doing with an occupational medicine was doing these mini interventions where Typically, people who are getting these medicals are going off to the mines, at least in Queensland. Um, They may not have seen a doctor for the last couple of years or so. When you're talking to them about their smoking or alcohol intake, and one thing that I love doing was just saying, like, hey, just tell me why why you smoke. Just answer that question for me in a non-sort of judgmental way so that they can actually reflect on, oh, I smoke because I'm stressed or I smoke because it's what everyone else is doing. And I actually broke through with a couple of clients who were like, oh, this is the first time that I've actually felt like I've been able to have a chat with a doctor who's not just berating me for smoking, who's actually treating me like a, a real person. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying to you, quit smoking straight away. It's bad for your health, rah, rah, rah. But I'm saying, you know, think about what you're doing and, you know, answer that question for yourself so that one day, you know, maybe you consider sort of like going down the quitting pathway. If it's not the right time, that's also okay. You know, reach out to a good GP. So it's things like that really were satisfying within clinical medicine. Where do you think you'll go from here? We were talking a bit before we actually hit record. Sounds like you're going to come back to Australia at some point. But do you have much idea of what you'd like to do after this role or after your time in the US? Oh, I think it's still a bit up in the air. Uh, I love Australia. Australia is home and all my family's there. A good chunk of my friends are there, although I do have a, a good network of friends here in the US now as well. But I really want to raise kids in Australia. So I see myself coming back to Australia in a few years' time. In terms of what I plan to do in Australia, it really depends on timing. I would love the colleges to be flexible enough to allow me to rejoin training. I think they might be able to. I'm not too sure. I stay in touch with my Um, regional training coordinator who's been a huge source of support. So thank you, Claire. I really appreciate you. 
And I think that my ideal role would be coming back and doing something again at the intersection of clinical informatics and occupational medicine. So continuing clinical training in OCMED while I keep my toes dipped in digital health clinical informatics in some shape or form. I really hope they count this. This this sounds very worthwhile, very valuable for the OCMED college to have under their belts all so your <laughs> experience. Now, our final question, something we ask every single person that comes on the podcast. If you were to do something outside of medicine or healthcare, do you have a dream job or a dream career? This is hard. And so I, I asked my my friends this question the other day. And a few other people were like, oh, I'd be a pilot or <laughs> do something fun like that. Um, I mean, I, I'm always very open and vocal about the fact I have a chronic illness, I have a form of narcolepsy. So certainly like safety critical work such as um, aviation is probably not for me. But I actually said, I was just like, I, I'd, I'd be a doctor again. Like it's so, it's so fun. Like the experience that I've had in medicine and having this flexibility has really been like the career that I love. Other than that, if you absolutely had to make me choose, I did a pottery class the other day and I was just like, oh, that'd be really cool to be a potter or something like that (laughs) and just create beautiful sort of vases and and that sort of thing. But I think that's just the flavor du jour at the moment. (laughs) Ask me in a month's time and I'll probably be like, oh, I actually did a golf lesson. Maybe I'll be a golfer. Like, I don't know. So yeah, it's always changing. Well, I can't really complain about you having career satisfaction. So even if you didn't properly <laughs> answer the question, I do like pottery. I feel like that could be a nice a nice side hobby. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really interesting, very different career. And I like that you're still early stage in your career as well and have had lots of flexibility, which not a lot of medical people do venture off that path that early as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a path that's still ongoing, still evolving. I think one day I'll probably listen back to this podcast and be like, oh, geez, like, you know, you want to you do that? That's very interesting, you know, how things have changed. So I think that it's always evolving. I also wanted to say that I'm always very happy to talk to any junior doctor who's trying to figure out their own path as well, swap stories, share what I can share, because I think that in this small community, it's really important to do that. And I actually owe Amon Deep and the Creative Careers in Medicine crew my interesting career today. And <laughs> it's been amazing. Oh, that's lovely to hear. How can people get in touch with you? LinkedIn or is there other preferred way to get in touch? Oh, yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, that would be best. Otherwise, you know, you can always find me on the Creative Careers in Medicine Facebook group as well and send me a message there. But sometimes I'm, I'm a bit bad with checking my Facebook messages, like when they're not from like added friends. So maybe LinkedIn, maybe go for LinkedIn. (laughs) All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast, a proud member of the Talking Health Tech podcast network. Visit the Creative Careers in Medicine website in the show notes this episode for more resources to help you find the courage, confidence and skills to take control of your career and forge your own unique path. The Creative Careers in Medicine podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, water and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders past, present and emerging. 